Midday Live on SAFM 104-107 8 minutes past 12 right here on SAFM South Africa's news and information leader indeed This is uh, Midday Live Still to come we'll look at uh, the National Informal Settlement Upgrading Summit uh, Currently underway in Kailija on the Cape Flats And uh, Deputy Minister of Human Settlements uh, Zogota Frederick Saying that the uh, government has targeted 45 municipalities around the country uh, with over uh, 800,000 uh, informal settlements uh, to upgrade. Make it uh, 1,800 informal settlements to upgrade. And we'll go to Egypt where an appeals court there has upheld the lower court's decision to dismiss the prosecutor general appointed by Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi. And uh, we will also go to London where the extradition hearing of, uh, the, uh, on the case of uh, Shri and Diwan accused of arranging the murder of his wife Annie continues in a London court today just some of the stories coming through right here on Midday Live on SFM South Africa's news and information leader we welcome your SMSs uh, particularly about this uh, particular story uh, on 34701 right here on uh, SFM South Africa's news and information leader the health ministry says it will look into ways to implement the new HIV treatment guidelines set by the World Health Organization the guidelines recommend the early offering of antiretroviral therapy the new recommendations encourage countries to initiate treatment in adults living with HIV when their CD4 cell count falls to 500 instead of uh, the previous 350. South Africa is already offering uh, the fixed dose ARV combination to all HIV positive pregnant women, breastfeeding uh, mothers and TB patients no matter what their CD4 count is. Let's now talk uh, to the Chief Director at the HIV and AIDS program at the Department of Health. That's uh, Toby Lembengashe. We'll try and uh, get uh, Dr. Toby Lembengashe on the line uh, shortly just uh, to get uh, to understand what the Department of Health is uh, doing and of course we'll be talking to the uh, treatment action campaign and we'll talk to the provincial organizer Gauteng Bongikosi Mtembu uh, to get a sense of uh, what uh, treatment action campaign uh, is saying about uh, that uh, particular move by the World Health Organization. We welcome your SMSs on that particular story 34701 and uh, we also welcome your tweets coming through at Kuala B News and also coming through at SAFM Midday Live and uh, we can uh, also uh, be accessed via our email address middaylive at sabc.co.za and uh, at gualabi uh, at sabc.co.za The story that we're tackling at this uh, uh, hour is uh, the health ministry saying that it will look into ways to implement the new HIV treatment guidelines set by the World Health Organization. Very interesting story this one. Good afternoon uh, Dr. Toby Lembengashe you are the Chief Director at the HIV and AIDS Program at the Department of Health. How do you react to this, ma'am. Uh, uh, it's a ma- it's it's me. It's a male. So uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Dr. My apologies. But what is your reaction as the department, as the South African Department of Health? I think first, I mean, uh, obviously, this uh, is a very new announcement from WHO. And what usually happens is that WHO review guidelines on a regular basis. The last review was in 2010. And uh, and so what what then happens is that once the review has been done, 
which we actually participate in many of the discussions at WHO. Once the reviews are done, and then the country then has to look at those reviews and actually assess them in terms of their implementation plan. And many instances, then we have to consider a number of very important things. So we welcome the review. We welcome the announcement because it's going to make a huge difference in the manner of how patients are actually managed. Mm. And I think the key thing that's going to be different is that um, first is that people would treat, would get treatment while they are very reasonably quite in good health. That's the first thing. Mm. But for that to happen, many people need now to test much more regular, like the minister said. So it means then people need to test much more regular. Just to give you a sense, the city for count of 500 that an individual will have and will, will be eligible if the policy of the department changes to eligibility of 500. What it means, that person in real life would have had an infection for about four to five years. Mm. And that person would never have known that he's got an infection unless he had tested before in that four to five years period. So what's going to be important is that for this to be implemented is that people must test regularly. And the third issue is that uh, currently we're just having, I mean, the city forecount was changed from 200 to 350. But on average, many of the people who actually come to our services, they still have a city forecount around 200 meaning that they have not reached the new one of 350. So the message from ourselves is that the new guidelines are really telling us that people can have better quality treatment by testing more regularly so that they can have a benefit of a higher city for count eligibility criteria and have a better treatment. All right, Dr. Mbengasha, these are guidelines, as, as we say, but uh, it, it will vary from country to country. And what Correct. is South Africa going to do? Are we going to embrace yeah. these guidelines? Are we going to implement them? Yes, South Africa has, has consistently embraced WHO guidelines in the previous years. So what they now, what will happen is that once this matter now, now that it is, it has been uh, communicated to all countries uh, by WHO, then the ministries of health will then have to do what is called a review of the current uh, uh, treatment guidelines, look at the implications of the changes in terms of numbers of people that now that will be eligible look at the capacity of what we have in order to get those people on treatment, look at the cost implications thereof, and then the minister takes a policy decision Mm. to actually implement. Once that policy decision is taken, the implementation takes place. So you can imagine we're already in the middle of the year now, meaning that all our commitments in terms of our budget have been really linked to the current uh, uh, criteria of eligibility. So whatever happens, we then have to weigh all these and say what would be the best time and what way could we implement this kind of new policy guideline. It's very interesting, uh, Dr. Mbengash, but also it's it's a uh, double-edged sword, uh, if I may say, because then on the other side you're going to have people getting into the program, treatment program, much, much earlier and it saves lives. That is very good. But uh, the number of people who are going to get into the program now is going to increase. So it talks to the issue of budgets. Can South Africa afford that now that we also have NHI that we need to implement as a country? Correct. And I think that's a very important question that we really need to be looking into. I think what's really looking into, if you really people, if you think about it now, is that the, the direction 
of actually getting people at a very higher eligibility criteria, obviously before kind of around 500, is actually addressing another question which we have been starting to understand the importance. That treatment itself is no longer just serving as treatment, but is also serving as prevention of new infection. Just to give you a sense that a person who is actually having an infection who doesn't know his status and who actually have some partners that they do not protect, that individual actually create new people who are supposed to get new treatment down the line. So treatment itself is actually preventing new infection. So you would have a two processes in terms of the cost. It's still possible that as you put more people on treatment, you get a very high cost, meaning that more people are getting to the system. But in the long run, there will be fewer people getting an infection because of the impact of treatment as, as, as prevention. Mm-hmm. So we are going to look at all those kind of uh, capabilities and issues as when we, when we make the decision. All right, I wish we could talk some more, but we've run out of time. Thank you very much, Dr. Toby Lembengashe. He is from the Department of Health. He is the Chief Director at the HIV and AIDS Program. But let's get a reaction now from the Treatment Action Campaign. Tembikosi Mtembo, let me just double-check that. Is Bongkosi or Tembikosi? Bongkosi Mtembo. He is the provincial organizer in Gauteng for TAC. How do you respond and react to this, Bongkosi? Okay, well, I'll just say, I would like to say afternoon to listeners, and then the, the thing, but like, it's not campaign, we, uh, we welcome the guidelines, because of like, currently, in South Africa, we've got over 2 million people on treatment, and then with the new guidelines, at least in the majority of people that need treatment, and then with the 34 count of 500, they will be injected on ARVs. And again, if ever you, you inject someone on treatment early, and then side effects will be reduced, and then the life of all people who are living with HIV and AIDS, like me, like myself, they will be prolonged as well, because of like they will be injected early on treatment. Mm. This is all well and good, but uh, some people may argue that uh, then uh, it, it will talk to uh, depending or dependency on on drugs. Now, I mean, if you if you started at 500, uh, you still are, are fairly healthy at that uh, that point, and then people will start depending on on drugs as opposed to really managing their lifestyles. Yes, because of like hence Doctor Benashe said, like like with ARVs, and then they they they, they, work, they also work as like treatment as prevention in order for 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 people to be prevented from opportunistic infection, they must be inserted on treatment early. That's why the sooner the better. And then if ever they are inserted earlier on treatment, and then large number of people will be protected. Just like we know that like once you test once you are HIV positive and then you start taking your treatment and then your viral load will be suppressed as well. So and then chances of you transmitting HIV to other people and then there will be less and again with in terms of this current couple, they'll also it will work much easier if ever everyone is in their own treatment. Some people are raising a concern here that, uh, of course, pharmaceuticals are behind this. They're trying to make sure that uh, they, uh, they they can get as many people as, as possible onto the program and their, they, they, their bottom line increases. What do you say about that? Yes, they are saving lives, but also they're looking at their bottom line, at their revenue, at their uh, profits. Yes, yes, we do know that. Like That's why we need to advocate for a lot of generic, like, medication to be produced or else for, for, for our government to procure a lot of generic medication. And then the, 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 the good thing is that like now we know that like everyone who's 
infected with HIV, they are being initiated on the FTC, like the one till once a day. So if ever a lot of companies can produce FTC and then the and like by pro, by procuring like FTCs, and then it, 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 it's cost saving as well to the government instead of buying from different suppliers. But like now, all the drugs they are combined in one pill, and then so everyone who gets this account of 500 and below, they will be invested on treatment. So it will be cost saving to our state as well. Well, thank you very much, Bongosim Tembo, the provincial organizer uh, of uh, TAC in Gauteng. It's exactly 20 minutes past 12. Midday live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Our top story this hour, the Kosatu drives low convoy against uh, E-Tolls is currently on the N1 south towards uh, Johannesburg, passing the Linwood off-ramp. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,262.30 an ounce, platinum at $1,308.50 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 90 uh, against the U.S. dollar, at 15 rand to the pound and at 12 rand 90 cents to the euro. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. Do you want to learn how to pitch your business idea effectively? Do you want to take your existing business to the next level? Engine Pitch and Polish in association with SAFM is setting the stage for entrepreneurs. If you believe in your business idea and would like some guidance, then we want you to attend our inspiring workshop where you will receive expert training and tips. This free workshop is coming to a town near you. For more info, SMS P-I-T-C-H, your name and city, to 45982. Register online at pitchandpolish.com or phone 011-566-2000. SMS costs 150. T's and C's apply. The Institute of Municipal Finance Officers is inviting all people responsible for finance and governance in local government to attend the annual conference on the 30th September up until the 2nd October 2013 at the Durban ICC. This year's theme is Sustainable and Compliant Governance with a focus on how municipalities can improve on corporate governance, compliance and delivery of services. For more information, go to imfo.co.za and take the next step and join the leaders of municipal finance excellence. Remember, the annual conference on 30th September at the Durban ICC. This advert is brought to you by the platinum sponsors Standard Bank and PwC. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. 22 past 12, this is Midday Live indeed on SAFM. Retired U.S. diplomat to South Africa, J. Brooks Spector, says that for the African Growth and Opportunity Act to be extended, Pretoria would have to prove to the U.S. Congress that uh, Americans will also benefit from the arrangement. During his recent visit to South Africa, U.S. President Barack Obama announced that he will support the extension of AGOA beyond the 2015 deadline. Debo Mokobo reports. We're going to start by investing $7 billion in U.S. government resources. We're going to partner with the private sector, who themselves have committed more than $9 billion in investment. And in partnership with African nations, we're going to develop new sources of energy. We'll reach more households, not just in cities, but in villages and on farms. We'll expand access for those who live currently off the power grid. And we'll support clean energy to protect our planet and combat climate change. U.S. President Barack Obama announcing America's initiative to enhance access to electricity across sub-Saharan Africa by tapping into the continent's huge energy resources and attracting the much-needed investment. This venture will begin in at least six countries and will include Tanzania, 
Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, Liberia, and Nigeria. It is set to produce 10,000 megawatts of cleaner and more efficient electricity generation capacity, electrifying 20 million new households in the continent. Former U.S. diplomat to South Africa J.B. Spector says this will go a long way towards unlocking Africa's prospects as an investment destination. I think it, it's also a realistic recognition that the flexibility to do large new programs, big flashy things, um, that's really very limited uh, given budgetary circumstances. And I think this is an effort to find a niche that can be done that up till now has not necessarily been done. And the problem here is not so much the, the ability to do this, but to build things uh, in a timely and efficient manner uh, and using market mechanisms to finance it. I mean, the, the problem here is not knowledge. The problem is marshalling all the resources in an efficient way. The Obama initiative comes at the time when critics say despite having its ancestral roots in Africa, President Obama's engagement with sub-Saharan Africa has been dismal, creating an opportunity for countries like China to tap into the continent's resources. His record on Africa is said to come no nearer to those of his predecessors Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. During his tenure, Clinton signed the African Growth and Opportunity Act, a trade agreement focusing on sub-Saharan Africa. This agreement allowed countries, including most in the Sadak region, to ship certain products to the U.S. tariff-free. The Clinton Initiative, which expires in 2015, has greatly benefited Pretoria, prompting Obama to support the extension of its life term. I'm calling for America to up our game when it comes to Africa. We're bringing together business leaders from America and Africa to deepen our engagement. We're going to renew the African Growth and Opportunity Act to break down barriers to trade because we want to unleash the power of entrepreneurship and markets to create opportunity here in Africa. But with fears that South Africa could be removed from the list of countries that benefit from ACOA, J.B. Spector says Pretoria would have to show that Americans will also benefit from this arrangement. I think you can make the case publicly and vigorously in America, too. It's one thing to try to meddle in congressional affairs. It's an entirely different thing to make a very strong, vigorous public case. Uh, whether that is through public speaking in important meetings and forums in America, opinion pieces in newspapers, whether it's by testimony before congressional committees. As long as the case is made that this is not simply to benefit South Africans, but that it benefits Americans as well. His sentiments were echoed by President Jacob Zuma's special advice on international affairs, Ambassador Lindy Wezulu. It remains our responsibility as South Africa to lobby and to convince people of the challenges that South Africa faces. Because while people think that we are the so-called first world country, we are not. We still have a lot of challenges in terms of ensuring that our economy grows, number one. But more than anything else, in ensuring that we build our economy to make sure that it addresses the challenges of the ordinary people in South Africa. And we are saying to the Americans, 20 years of democracy is a very short period of time to then begin to think that to call us a developed country. President Obama concluded his Africa Three Nation tour in Tanzania yesterday after visiting Senegal and South Africa. Ntebu Mokobo is in Johannesburg. We'll be revisiting the U.S.-South Africa relationships when we talk education just after the headlines at half past. But let's go to Kylie Chanau where informal settlements is under the spotlight at uh, the upgrading summit currently underway in Kailicha. The Department of Human Settlements is consulting residents on upgrading and planning of settlements. Kailicha has been the epicenter of continuous service delivery protests. Human Settlements Deputy Minister Zoe Gota 
Dr. Fredericks is addressing the summit at the Falls Bay FET College. I spoke to her earlier on and I asked her uh, to outline the, the conference and what the conference is all about. This summit is all about upgrading 45, I mean, it's about 1,800 informal settlements that were upgrading out of the total of 2,700. We're operating 1,800. It is out of 45 municipalities. So our idea is to ensure that where the people live at the moment, they also have access to decent life. Mm. So our upgrading involves creating access roads where they are, ensuring that they have sanitation, ensuring that they have water, and make sure that at the end of the day, in those areas, access to electricity as well. So the sanitation is about providing our people with security of tenure. It's about ensuring that at the end of the day, the social and economic amenities where they are, so that in the upgrading of informal settlements, we also involve them. They are part of decision-making. Do you find that it's better to upgrade the existing informal settlements as opposed to maybe recycling people in a well-designed settlement that will have all these things that you're talking about? No, we're not starting new informal settlements. Definitely, we're not starting new informal settlements. We're upgrading people where they are. But you are saying that in the upgrading of those informal settlements, there are those who are in low-lying areas. We will stick to the people and ensure that we move people out of those areas. But as far as the work, the bulk of the work is concerned at the moment, is to upgrade informal settlements where the informal settlements are and what? have what is called in-situ upgrading as well, which means you upgrade the household where it is and where there's a possibility that you can build the house in that area. Maybe the land is tested in terms of EIAs. It's good land. Then you build a house in that of that person in that community. All right, we've got so many informal settlements across the country. I mean, uh, I'm sure even yourselves have lost count. But where are you going to start? We've started already. In fact, the city of Cape Town it does have informal settlement upgrading. The Buffalo City does informal settlement upgrading. Ekuruleni does informal upgrading. KZN, Watmire County, up to Rustenburg. There's already movements in that regard. What we're doing right now today is to profile this work that they've been doing all along, is to give it an impetus moving forward. It's not that because we're going to start from scratch. No, even at this meeting that we are at the summit itself, we're going to show the people the best practices where this issue of upgrading has succeeded and where we have challenges. We'll be able to outline to them these are the areas of challenges. So the work has already of off the ground already. Deputy Minister of Human Settlements, Zoukota Fredericks. It's 12.30, time for the news headlines. Nancy, and of course uh, we continue with uh, our South Africa-United States uh, partnership and relationship as part of the United States vision to engage the Africa's next cadre of leaders and strengthen partnerships between the United States uh, of America and Africa. President Barack Obama on Saturday announced the Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders Initiative. Along with the initiative, the Education USA program arranges a variety of programs and resources that link South Africans and Americans. Educational exchanges and access to information resources create bonds and enduring relationships that build bridges and, uh, of course, of cooperation and understanding. Speaking on Saturday to young African leaders at the University of Johannesburg uh, Soweto campus, President Obama has this, or rather had this to say. 
we're launching a new program that's going to give thousands of promising young Africans, like you, the opportunity to come to the United States and develop your skills at some of our best colleges and universities. It's called the Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders. We'll focus on civic leadership and public administration and business and entrepreneurship, the skills you need to serve your communities. And I look forward to welcoming you at a summit that I'll host in Washington because I want to hear directly from you. Your hopes, your dreams, what we can achieve together. Earlier, I spoke to Claire Powell, who is the Education USA advisor at the U.S. Consulate in Johannesburg, and I started by asking her to outline the Education USA program. Really, this is a program that was set up to help international students worldwide who were interested in pursuing higher education in the U.S., um, both at a bachelor level and postgraduate, so be masters and PhDs. So okay. we were set up to try and help students navigate what can be quite a daunting um, process. How long has the Education USA program been uh, in place for? It's actually been around for many, many years. Um, I would say in its current phase as Education USA, probably the last five to six years. Um, but it's, it's still building awareness um, and building understanding of what the Education USA brand is. Um, and that's one of um, my big goals, as well as the two other education advisors in South Africa, is our goal is to, to get the word out there to South Africans who may be looking to pursue U.S. higher education. Before we get to the uh, deeper detail of this, but uh, I just want to look at the response. You say the program has been uh, up and running for a while now. What's been the response from, from Africa and particularly South Africa? Well, Africa's growing tremendously at the moment. Um, worldwide, there's close to 800,000 international students, but from the African continent alone, there's over 30,000 students that are currently studying in the U.S., and um, just over 1,600 are from South Africa. Mm. And uh, of the 1,600, what, what do they focus on uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of their uh, uh, criteria, their education? What are they studying? Well, about 54% of them are looking at undergraduate studies, which would primarily be their bachelor degrees. Um, and then a growing number, we are seeing um, close to 35% and growing every year, um, look interested in their masters and PhDs. So, um, you know, those are the areas, well, the types of degrees. And then the areas of interest range between engineering, business, and various humanities courses. All right, what is the criteria then that you guys use for one who is interested in accessing uh, this uh, tremendous uh, Education USA program? So normally um, what we do is we get we would get calls or an email from a student or maybe a school that would be interested um, in letting their students know about U.S. higher education. And our, our primary focus would be then to be, well, um, invite them to an introductory session that each of our centers in South Africa hold monthly. Um, so, for instance, our Johannesburg Center, we hold um, a undergraduate session at the beginning of the month and a graduate session towards the end of the month where we go over U.S. higher education in terms of what is it, how is it structured in the U.S., and then we go through the, the application process. What do they need to have put in place um, for themselves. All right, and uh, how about funding? Uh, does uh, the, the, the U.S. or does the program itself fund students who get into this program or they will need to uh, find money themselves? Well, it's, it's 
it's a variety of different options that are available. I will say that about 80% of international students in the U.S. have some sort of family inco um, income behind them. And whether it be, you know, some small amount to put towards their tuition or their living costs or, you know, sometimes there are families that can afford the full amount. But when I have students come into the center, what we, what I try and work with them on is looking for institutions that have a history of giving financial aid should they need it. Um, because that, that would be the important part. I mean, many times we have students that come to us after they have applied, they haven't heard about us. And they've got in, but they've picked universities that don't really have um, a track record of providing financial assistance to international students. So we try and help steer students, should they need financial aid, towards institutions that may be able to help them. So uh, there's a possibility that you might even link them up with their potential uh, and prospective sponsors. Yes, um, so there's various different ways to have financial aid. So once they have you know, attended our general session, um, they can follow up with individual advising with myself um, or the other advisors in the country. And we um, help them look for different areas where they can find financial assistance, whether it be private sponsors, um, you know, NGOs, um, or you know, U.S. universities themselves. And uh, that's Claire Powell, who is the Education USA advisor at the U.S. Consulate in Johannesburg. We'll try and give you details of how to access this uh, particular program. It's at 22 minutes to 1. This is the Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news. And information leader to Cairo we go, where Egypt's appeals court has upheld the lower court's decision to dismiss the prosecutor general appointed by Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi. This, as millions of Egyptians took to the streets throughout the country and uh, called for President Morsi to leave. The opposition has given Morsi until tonight to step down or they will storm his palace as they will uh, they have already sacked his uh, uh, rather ransacked his uh, headquarters. For more on this now we're joined on the line by the uh, Egyptian uh, based uh, uh, daily news political editor Sarah Abu Bakar. Good afternoon to you Sarah Yeah hi how are you? I'm fine I guess uh, President Mohamed Morsi is between a, a rock and a hard place if I may. Two deadlines are looming. This afternoon uh, uh, people are saying thousands of people will march uh, to uh, the presidential palace to force him to step down but uh, 48 hours later on Wednesday uh, the army has also said has given, given him a deadline to, to decide what he wants to do with uh, the uprisings in the country. How is the situation like right now in, uh, in Egypt? The situation is currently very critical. Uh, millions of people have uh, took to the streets a couple of days before and have asked Morsi to step down. And he has been given a deadline by Kamarud or the campaign uh, that by 5 p.m. if he does not step down today, uh, his palace in Sarai Oba will be besieged by people uh, and people will not leave until uh, he's ousted. Now, the military yesterday, in a very stern statement, expressed their complete support to the will of the people, as they phrased it, and uh, gave him 48 hours to meet the demands of the people, which is mainly his removal from office. The situation is very critical because, yes, last night, uh, the, uh, the Islamist coalition, which is, they represent mostly supporters, predominantly Islamist parties and groups, called upon their supporters to take to the to take to the streets, 
شغل ديسابورت في الليجيتيمسي اند بيبل ار فيري ويري ذات ذير شال بي سم سيريس كلاشز هابينينج تونايت And uh, how is uh, President Mohamed Morsi dealing with the situation right now? I guess really he is uh, just a, a lame duck, as it were. I mean, he doesn't have control of the army. The, 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 the army has given him the deadline to say, listen, you've got you've to act right now. And if you don't act, really, we'll come in and, uh, and, and kick you out, basically. So he is, uh, he's very weak. Currently, he's not doing anything, to be honest. We've had news that his presidential spokesmen uh, have resigned. Uh, several ministers have resigned as well, I mean, governors. Uh, they are abandoning ship, and he is not dealing with it. He's completely ignoring the current situation, as far as we know. Uh, the only statement he released was last night, saying, and it was a very defined statement, uh, ensuring his legitimacy uh, and saying that they will not allow a coup. And that they view the uh, the military statement as an attempt to a coup, and so he's currently ignoring what's happening on the street, and it's very different. And many people are doubting his sound judgment when it comes to this. Mm. But uh, realistically, uh, Sarah, can we see him leave beyond today, at least tomorrow? On the street, there is a lot of anger, a lot of angry people. And uh, the current economic situation in Egypt is quite dire. Uh, situation has worsened uh, in the last year. And people are very angry, which is a very volatile situation. Will he step down today or not? Uh, we shall see about it. The, uh, the Egyptian military is an important part of the equation. Uh, it's a fact of life. People are worried uh, that military may try to take over. However, uh, we, they called the, uh, last night at the speaker and they released a statement and they assured that they had no intention for a coup. Mm. Stepping down uh, is a major demand. Will he need it or not? It, we, we'll have to say about it. It's very different. Mm. Of course, uh, different times as well. But we saw uh, Hosni Mubarak when uh, th- this amount of pressure was uh, exerted on on him, he he was forced to step down. He he had to step down. But we see what is happening in Syria, for instance, uh, where there is the, there is resistance, and uh, the president there says, "I'm going nowhere." And and what would be your sense of what will happen in Egypt if uh, Mohammed Morsi uh, decides, "I'm going nowhere." If he decides to stay in office, sure. a lot of people are expecting clashes. Like, if he decides to step down, there has been a plan issued by Kamaru campaign and several political groups, mainly the opposition bloc, the National Salvation Front. Uh, and the issue, the plan, which uh, is basically what the Constitution says, uh, in case of uh, the removal or uh, the inability of the current president uh, meeting his duties, the head of the Supreme Constitution Court takes over for a period no more than six months. Technocratic government will see that everything is uh, all right, uh, we've lost that line uh, to Sarah Abu Bakr there. He, she is based in Egypt. She is a political editor at uh, Daily News Egypt. But thank you very much for that. And quickly, let's go now to uh, our reporter, Molabokheng Sibidi. No, Molabokheng is not on the line. Uh, let's see. He will give us uh, the latest on uh, the Kosatu Drive Slow uh, uh, 
program that is underway right now. We know that uh, the, they are currently on the N1 south towards Johannesburg, passing the Linwood off-ramp. So we'll be coming back to our reporter. She, uh, actually, is uh, Malobacheng Sabidi. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Let's start uh, at uh, the JSC now and say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh, uh, Sasfin Securities. That's the company he's with. Uh, Sudhir, good afternoon. How are the markets looking today? Bongi Global markets are mostly lower this morning uh, as uh, investors trade cautiously ahead of central bank meetings in the UK and Europe later this week, as well as investors uh, cashing in from gains yesterday. Over on Wall Street, stocks closed higher last night, lifted by better-than-expected U.S. manufacturing data. Taking a look at the U.S. stock futures, it is pointing to further gains later this afternoon, as analysts expect a positive factory report, which will likely show further expansion among manufacturers. Locally, the JSC has pulled back this morning, despite stronger commodity prices. On the corporate front, uh, NEPI reported that it expects its distribution per share for the half-year to be about 15% higher. Just taking a look at our local indices, we've got the gold index, which is up just over 2%. Resource 10 index is up half a percent. The industrial 25 index is down 0,2%. The financial index is down 1%. And overall, the market is down around 66 points, or 0,2% to 39,867. And the stocks on the move today, Sudhir? On the upside, we have Anglo Gold, which is up almost 3% at 148.40. Harmony is up 2% at 37.20. BHP Bulletin is up 1% at 260.20. Photocom is up just over half a percent at 104.90. And on the downside, we have PPC, which is down just over 2% at 29.70. First Rand is down 2% at 29 rands. ShopRite is down just over 1% at 188.60. Rand and, 60 cents. and lastly, we have Clicks, which is down a percent at 57.20. Rand and, 20 cents. and uh, your latest market indicators? We currently have gold at uh, $1,262.30 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,380.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $103.20 per barrel. And finally, we have the Rand, which is trading at 9 Rand 90 cents to the dollar. 15 rands to the pound and 12 rand 90 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much, uh, Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. Marilyn, please can you order me a midday blood sugar leveling gastronomic experience? Lunch, sir? Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence, one solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. 15 minutes to 1. This is a midday live. This is SFM 104 to 107. The Kosatu Drive Slow Convoy against Etolls is currently on the N1 South towards uh, Johannesburg, passing the Linwood uh, off ramp. That was a while ago. Uh, let's uh, talk now to our reporter, Molobekhen Sabidi, who is uh, on that particular story. Uh, the convoy, Molobekhen, um, where is it right now as we speak? Good afternoon, Bongi. Right now, we are actually still on the N1 South. We've just literally passed Atterbury Road, which means we haven't moved much in the past hour between um, Linwood and Atterbury. It has taken us an hour just to move from one off-ramp 
to the next. So this is a true definition of, I suppose, that we can call a drive slow bungee. Okay. So I, I also, uh, I guess, it talks to uh, the turnout today. The turnout initially, in comparison to the other drive slows that had happened in Johannesburg, was pretty low with um, just under 20 cars. So the momentum um, and the mood around that was um, really, uh, really low. But um, um, the Kofas leadership had mentioned that they're not worried about um, initial um, turnout of motorists because most of them had mentioned that they would, um, as with the previous uh, convoys, join in at different intersections of the highway. And uh, the, the effects on traffic? Traffic is heavily backed up right now. Um, Motors getting anxious and very agitated at the moment. Um, um, the convoy is currently occupying two lanes, while motorists have um, the, the remainder of the other two lanes um, to travel. But it, it is heavily backed up. It's it's it, it's amazing. Um, but I suppose motorists um, um, that aren't participating will have to practice a little bit, not even a little bit, um, like quite heavy uh, patience because. It is going to take a while. In comparison to the previous drive flows, this one um, has delayed the most traffic and is significant only. And uh, the, the, the route, uh, so from where you are right now, where is the convoy going and uh, w- where is their last stop? We, we heard also that uh, they, they might go and, uh, and uh, make a turn at uh, the hospital where former President Nelson Mandela is receiving treatment. That's true, Bongi. Currently, we are um, still on the N1 South. We are making way, though, on the R24 um, as well towards the airport. And um, after that, um, it is expected that the convoy should disperse around about 3.30 in the afternoon at Ufus Road by Fountains Valley. If they do manage to stick to the deadline, Bongi, uh, the leadership of party has mentioned that they would then, like those who can, who will not be dispersing at 3.30, um, those who can will then um, go to the Medi-Clinical Hospital in Pretoria, where um, currently our former president, Nelson Mandela, is currently being treated to also um, wish him a speedy recovery there. We also heard that uh, Kosatu is uh, planning a stay away on Friday, this coming Friday. Do you have any details around that? That's true, Bongi. Um, uh, Kosatu leadership has mentioned that um, they, they would like to participate in something called a provincial stay away where workers basically they target targeting the working class where working people will be able to participate in a in a peaceful march in Johannesburg um, to support the calls against Italian. Have done if they have uh, made applications with Medlag to ensure that um, basically uh, uh, working people will be protected by um, you know in, in terms of legal uh, terms so that they are not um, I suppose harassed or intimidated by employers in terms of participating in um, this course. So they are trying to make it as legal as possible, and they're still waiting um, outcome in terms of that body. Thank you very much. Our reporter was monitoring the Kosatu Drive Slow convoy against the E-Tolls uh, currently on the N1 South right here uh, in Johannesburg. At eight minutes to one, the South African National Blood Service says it is still battling to increase its blood stock. So currently the blood stock level is enough for only three days instead of a required five days. So you know what you need to do there. Interesting, in the United Arab Emirates, uh, uh, they've convicted down Dozens of defendants accused of plotting to overthrow the government in that particular country. More than 60 people uh, were given sentences 
of up to 15 years. We were hoping to go to our London-based correspondent to talk about the extradition hearing on the case of Shrian Diwani, accused of arranging the murder of his wife, Annie, continuing in a London court there. Diwani's extradition has been postponed several times on the grounds that he isn't mentally well enough to stand trial. So we'll try and see if we can't get hold of our London correspondent, Nasli Fieri, there to give us an update insofar as that particular story is concerned. South Africa has joined uh, other countries in assessing their readiness and capacity to implement the new HIV treatment guidelines set by the World Health Organization to offer antiretroviral therapy earlier. The recommendations are presented in uh, WHO's consolidated guidelines on the use of antiretroviral drugs for treating HIV. So we'll be coming back to that particular story, but let's go to Natalie Fieri. Uh, she's our uh, correspondent based in London, the extradition hearing on the case of uh, Shrian Diwani. Uh, Natalie, he's uh, accused of arranging the murder of uh, his wife, and it's continuing it la- in London today. What is happening? Have the proceedings started yet? Yes, they, uh, they have. They've been underway for close to two hours now, uh, and we've just been hearing from Dr. Ian Cummings. He's a psychiatrist. He's the medical expert witness, uh, and he questioned uh, Dewani and is giving his account of when he spoke to him. He uh, questioned him during a four-hour interview, and he's spoken of the fact that Dewani needed regular breaks, uh, but he was able to give a good account of things like uh, life, family, but he did find the bright room difficult. He also said Dewani was able to describe the nature of his relationship with Annie, his wife, that was murdered, so he said this was difficult, uh, and he did give details uh, of the night that Annie died, about the meal, the conversation, the car ride, how the men in the car got aggressive, uh, and he did say, rather importantly, uh, that he wanted to prove his innocence uh, once he was better. This is what he told the psychiatrist Dr. Ian Cummings. Uh, Dr. Ian Cummings says, uh, however, that Zawani is still suffering from depression and moderate to severe post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Uh, now, South Africa's lawyer has uh, said, of course, though, that no one should draw conclusions about the murder of Annie Dewani uh, from what Shirin Dewani uh, has been telling Dr. Cummings, uh, but it, he is still speaking at the moment, so there could be more from his account later on. That uh, his his life has improved, his uh, post-traumatic stress has uh, somewhat stabilized, uh, but uh, not well enough to be extradited to South Africa. What should we read into that? Well, I think, uh, you know, what we're going to see over the course of these days is uh, how uh, his mental health uh, condition is. Now, they do say it has improved. Uh, we heard in yesterday's proceedings that it uh, has gone from severe to moderate. Uh, so perhaps uh, he is on the road to recovery, uh, going in the right direction. And, of course, we did hear yesterday uh, that South Africa's lawyers said that uh, in South Africa he could receive medical treatment. Um, of course, uh, Shuren Dewani's uh, lawyers are going to uh, perhaps fight that this isn't the case. So we'll just uh, have to see over the course uh, of today and the coming days uh, what the picture of his mental health is. But uh, I guess the South African lawyers are really pushing hard now to have this matter wrapped up and they have uh, Shirin Diwani extradited to South Africa. What are they saying? 
Well, they're saying um, that the conditions uh, there will will be good. They'll be fine for him. They'll say uh, that he can have uh, medical treatment there. Uh, he can, uh, you know, be be at a hospital there and receive treatment much in the same way that he is here. So what they're saying is uh, that he can be extradited and his mental health issues could be dealt with there uh, and that uh, Delaney's legal team won't really be able to dispute the initial appeal because their appeal was uh, that because of his mental health, he couldn't go there. Uh, and the, the lawyers for South Africa are saying that uh, his mental health issues can be treated in South Africa. And as you said, really pushing to get him extradited now because, of course, this has been carrying on for quite some years now. Mm. And uh, uh, Sherwin himself was not in court yesterday. Uh, today, was he in? No, no, he was not in court uh, today. We saw before the proceedings got underway, we saw members of his family arrive, his father, his brother. Uh, we saw members of Annie's family arrive also. Her brother, her sister and her father arrived before the proceedings got underway. And we did see her mother go in a few moments ago, but uh, no signs of Shirin Dewani, uh, who is not here on medical grounds. And uh, Nasli, finally, talk us through the process from now forth. What is going to happen? We hear after uh, the, the, this, this round of, uh, of the hearings, there will be about 28 days of uh, deciding whether or to extradite or not. So what is going to happen? Well, yes, that's right. I mean, nothing is decided at the end of this week. The judge goes away, uh, and like you said, close to a month for him to come to his decision uh, regarding uh, the extradition of Shurandawani. After that, he can appeal, but only to the Supreme Court. Uh, so we'll have to see once the judge decides if that is going to happen or, or if indeed he is extradited. You know, we did hear uh, a few moments ago uh, from Dr. Cummins that Shuran Dewani said he does want to prove his innocence once he is better. Uh, so perhaps that is some indication that he is prepared to go to South Africa. So we'll just have to see what the decision is by the judge in about a month. Thank you very much, uh, Natalie Fury. She is uh, our London-based correspondent, as you had the, the extradition hearing uh, on the case of uh, Shrian Diwani, accused of arranging the murder of his wife, uh, Annie, continuing in a London court. It's uh, a minute now before one. In, uh, enough time for me, really, to thank you very much for listening uh, right here on SFM 104 to 107. And to thank my team today, Tarazal Lamini, Mandi Samtelu, and uh, Mabobuloka. And uh, our technical producer today, uh, one quiet young man, Dogozo Kuzuayo, there. And uh, our senior producer is uh, Nomalizo Mandela. Our executive producers are Busisiwe Chane and uh, Aubrey Setie. My name is Bongikwala. Let's do it again tomorrow between uh, 12 and 1 for your Wednesday edition of uh, Midday Live on 104 to 107. We welcome your SMSs on 34701 and your tweets as well, as well as uh, emails. And uh, if your SMS is not read, we will upload it uh, on our Twitter page at SAFM Midday Live. Till we meet again then, Nancy Richards is up next with uh, Otherwise. Bye-bye.